0: Hey, pretty people. So, writing books is not the only thing that I do. On my website, I also have an eShop where I sell things like cute animal pillows, candy-themed airpod cases, Pokemon building block sets, and more, and the shipping is free. Also, if you subscribe to my email list, you'll get a 10% off coupon for everything currently available. I occasionally do giveaways that are exclusive to subscribers, so don't miss out. Sign up today. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment... Please speak with a mental health professional.
1: Trauma is a source and the cause of a lot of drinking problems. Um, Personally, to me, it was, I had an absent father. I, I never had a dad growing up.
0: Today's subject is pretty intense, but I, like many people, believe it's a subject that gets overlooked. When we bring up alcohol addiction, many of us know the harmful effects of alcoholism, sometimes firsthand. Some of us have had friends we've watched struggle with it, family members. Some of us even had parents who were alcoholics. Still, alcohol abuse is largely glamorized and not taken as seriously as it should be. The National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism defines alcohol addiction, otherwise known as alcohol use disorder, as a chronic relapsing disorder associated with compulsive alcohol drinking, the loss of control over intake, and the emergence of a negative emotional state when alcohol is no longer available. It's characterized by an impaired ability to stop or control alcohol use despite adverse social, occupational, or health consequences. So we have a clear definition of what alcohol addiction is. But is there an underlying cause? We're going to explore that on today's episode. So let's get started. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows, picking the flowers I've grown through sheer resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius. And this is my life after speaking. According to CDC.gov, heavy drinking is defined as 8 or more drinks per week for women and 15 or more drinks per week for men. Binge drinking is defined as 4 or more drinks during a single occasion for women and 5 or more drinks during a single occasion for men. Most people who drink excessively aren't alcohol-dependent, but I'm going to be honest with you, I definitely have more than five drinks on occasion, which leads me to the long-term health risks, such as high blood pressure, cancer, weakening of the immune system, learning and memory problems, mental health problems, such as depression and anxiety, social problems that can be family or job-related. And lastly, alcohol dependence. So before you even get to the alcohol dependence portion of it, you have all these others, these other risks that are just associated with excessive drinking, not even alcohol dependency. Now in my book, Life After Low Self-Esteem, one of the first things I talk about is how your self-esteem can often be linked to eating disorders, promiscuity, substance abuse, suicide, and even theft. When you think of it that way, to me, all of that begins to make more sense. Hell, even the state of the world begins to make more sense. Because if you have a negative self-image or you don't see value in yourself, it makes sense why you wouldn't be concerned with what it is that you put in your body how it affected you, and what the adverse risk effects were. My New Year's resolution in particular this year was to cut down on drinking because it was honestly getting a little excessive over a long period of time, especially during the holidays. Today, my guest is Shalina Lodia. She's a multifaceted woman of color, aka a triple threat. She's a mental health counselor, a resume writer, and a musician. She does it all. She's fierce. So for a topic like alcohol addiction, I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with. So I am joined today by Shalina. And Shalina is in Australia. And I believe, Shalina, you are in summer in Australia. And I think you're actually also a day ahead of me. (laughs)
1: yes uh official first day of summer was yesterday and um yes I am one day ahead of you it's it's 10 a.m here (laughs) 10
0: a.m on Friday yes 10 a.m on Friday I am very privileged to speak to someone um from the future so I (laughs) am (laughs) so I'm very delighted to be able to do that uh I'm noticing Shalina you your professions here I have you listed as a counselor Um, a resume writer, and a musician.
1: Yes, yes. The
0: musician part of it, do you play an instrument?
1: Uh, No, I sing and I rap.
0: You sing and you rap. Did you go to school for vocal or anything?
1: I did when I was quite young. And then after that, um, you know, I, I sort of felt like depressed, and there were times I couldn't afford it and things like that. So I guess I did a lot of it from home, from my bedroom, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it it was a it was sort of an escape from my world and my reality when I when I divulged into music. So I I would say that music has sort of saved me in a way. What? So um, counseling is like for other people, and music is like my form of therapy, pretty much. For Very myself.
0: good. Well, good. We all need that escape. And I'm glad that music works in that way for you. You and I actually share that in common. I was a vocal major in university. And um, when I saw a musician, I was like, hmm, let's pick her brain a little (laughs) bit here and see what um, her experience is. So very good to know that you have experience with music. And yes, absolutely. It is definitely a medium where so many forms of expression can take place. And so many forms of comfort can yes, take place yeah, as well.
1: Absolutely. Music is a healer.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So your current profession, Yes. what is that for you?
1: Trauma counselor.
0: Trauma um, counselor.
1: Okay. I also do resume writing on the side. I started off doing resume writing. I moved to career counseling, then I moved towards helping women who were suffering from domestic violence in my in my community. So I'm Indian, and from there I realized that so many women they're going through domestic violence, but there's so much more, um, sort of going on in their mind and and in in their lives. And from that, I thought, you know what. I want to help people on a bigger scale, not just with domestic violence. And um, it sort of led me to reflect upon the things I have gone through. And I guess I had to start my own healing journey. You you can't help other people if you haven't started your own journey and healed yourself. So uh, that and um, I realized how much my own traumas played a part in, you know, my, my drinking and, and, and trying to escape from reality in, in negative ways. And um, so once I dealt with all that, I thought I actually want to be a counsellor and I want to be the person that I never got to have when I was young. Um, and so with the knowledge that I have and the experience I have, I, I, help, I, I heal through helping other people with my knowledge and my experience and sharing it on, on a platform to be like the voice of the voiceless. And I really enjoy doing that.
0: Very good. Very good. So I'm noticing right away. So the topic of the episode that we have or in our discussion today was alcohol addiction, Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm immediately picking up on where it begins with something else outside of that. And would you want to kind of elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Trauma is a source and the cause of a lot of drinking problems. Um, personally, to me, it was I had an absent father. I, I never had a dad growing up, um, and I went through a lot of bullying and racism at school mm. to the point where I just completely hated who I was. H- I hated myself, my name, my face, you name it. I hated it all. And then I also realised there was a lot of um, intergenerational trauma that had gone on in, in my life and a lot of problems at home. So when somebody comes to me and tells and tells me that they or someone they know has a drinking problem. Um, I usually ask them about their past experiences and their life growing up, and what's really going on for them now. Because, you know, when you first drink it, alcohol can make you feel so happy and so calm. But then, alcohol really is a central nervous system depressant, and it's a depressant that reduces the the speed of your brain activity. So, while alcohol can offer temporary physiological or emotional relief it can make you feel confident escape from reality and your problems it can also make you overly emotional and um, you lose inhibitions and you can end up making poor choices so and you know some people just blank out and have no idea of what happened and um, never recover their memory which means that if there is something they need to remember they never will and um, obviously it affects people differently so my profession helps to uncover why exactly a person drinks and to link it to the source of that, which is in my experience in my own life and from what I've seen, it's trauma, and it is trauma that usually has been passed down from one generation to the other, which we call intergenerational trauma. Yes. And um, once you start to acknowledge and put the pieces together, um, you don't always feel like you need to drink because you've now realised where your, your pain and your suffering is coming from
0: very good so that's so interesting that you're mentioning all that it's tied back to i I've, I've written about and i've i'm of the belief that many of the i want to say not toxic but um problematic behaviors mm-hmm. that we often find ourselves constantly going back to and um, participating in are tied back to like you mentioned trauma mm-hmm. and also back to kind of like a low sense of self-worth yes um personally i can speak that i've i've definitely gone through that journey of overcoming those negative self-image thoughts and everything like that and i once i did that i realized that a lot of um drug addiction um going into relationships that are kind of harmful to us can tie back to trauma that we've experienced And also that negative self-image where we feel like, well, maybe we don't voice actively that we feel, uh, you know, worthless or we feel that we are not a good person, but it comes out in other ways that we don't (laughs) recognize right away. So like you mentioned earlier, someone may come to you and say that they have a drinking problem and they have a problem with addiction, but then you're asking them, okay, well, what is, when do you for instance when do you feel like you have to drink and why what does that Mm -hmm. tie back to and I think that is absolutely important to root cause that and see what's what's going on that's leading to that
1: absolutely um okay I I know for me that um not having a dad not having a father in my life was one of the major causes because you you don't feel worthy you don't feel that love you don't you don't have your self-love you you don't you sometimes you don't even care about your own self. Cause you think, well, you know, my absent parent, my father, mother, whoever was absent, or if there was both, you think, well, they didn't care about me. I don't give a damn about myself. I'll just drink and smoke and do whatever. Like you, you just don't care. You, you don't, you don't love yourself enough because they didn't love you. So I'm abs- having an absent father is a major cause for alcohol addiction and um, just, as well as obviously problems at home because you mostly drink to escape. You don't, people don't drink to usually just party up because you can party without alcohol. So why is it that you feel the need
0: to drink,
1: you know? Right.
0: I also feel like it goes back to, now I'm not an expert on uh, attachment theory and everything of that nature, but I do believe that it also goes back to the attachments that we either receive or we don't receive in our early childhood and speaking back about the absent father and the familial bonds that we are supposed to get Mm -hmm. during certain development cycles as we're growing up when we're not receiving those and we're having to make do without them and we're kind of putting certain things on hold in order for that to happen i think that also contributes to later on we're kind of still doing that with alcohol with drugs with uh seeking out toxic relationships. We're kind of still kind of just making do. And I think it's important to kind of recognize that for what it is and try to identify it. So I do like that you do focus on the fact that when you're speaking to the people who are coming to you, you're focusing on trying to root cause and get behind what is driving all of that.
1: Yeah. See, addiction is, is, is a, is a medicalization. You're, you're medicalizing something that's not the main problem. Um, There's so much medicalization of mental health going on that if somebody has a reaction to something they go through, people are immediately labeling them. Oh, you're this and you're that you've got this disorder and this personality disorder. But most of the time when we are reacting to something that has happened to us in the past or, you know, in the, you know, day ago or something, it's such a normal reaction like it's such a normal reaction to want to escape from the world when your world feels so dark and cold due to whatever trauma you've been through and it's so natural to turn towards alcohol and drugs and um you know self-harming it, and people make it out to be like you're crazy or, or or you've got an addiction it's like no I've got pain and I'm trying to numb the pain everybody's trying to escape the pain but they just do it in ways that is comfortable for them. Yes, And alcohol just happens to be one of those things that provides so much comfort to a person because it it alters how you see things. It, it alters how you feel. Um, if you drink a little bit, it's okay. But if you overdo it, it's not. Um, so if we stop medicalizing everything that a person goes through and and make them feel crazy, perhaps people wouldn't feel the need to go to alcohol. Perhaps they would feel like their emotions are validated and their experiences are validated therefore they feel understood and they don't need the alcohol but I think that we're very judgmental at times we point the finger at times and then absolutely people want people suffer so much because of that and they think oh you know stuff it I'm gonna go and have a drink I just I can't cope with this you know being sober I need I need alcohol so yes the the problem is um have you heard this quote? Uh, I don't, I forgot the name of the person who said it, but they said that um, a abnormal reaction to an abnormal event is a normal reaction. So abnormal things that happen in our lives like parental absenteeism or whatever form of trauma, sexual abuse, whatever you've been through, that's abnormal. But our reaction of drinking and doing things may also be considered to be abnormal as well, but it's not. it's it's actually quite normal. All these things that people do. To escape the pain and I think it's very important to to remember that
0: absolutely I agree with that because you see you see the correlation number one and you also see how common it is I don't know how I don't know if the media in Australia portrays drinking as just like an everyday thing and um, characters on TV they have like six drinks and then they go about their day whereas in reality if you did that I, I don't know if you just want to go save the world right after but i when mentioning that of course i i absolutely i agree i agree that they're for the abnormal event and the abnormal reaction to it um and how it actually is normal
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely i agree with that 100 so for you uh mentioning your personal journey what was the aha moment for you where you said this is maybe the root cause of what I'm experiencing.
1: I think I always knew why I did what I did. Um, I always, especially because when I would drink, a lot of my emotions would come out um, and I would think a lot about my dad and I'd get emotional and um, I'd think about the things that really hurt me. Um, I knew why I was drinking, but I couldn't find a reason to stop because I couldn't find a way to accept the absence of my dad and the trauma that I had faced in my family, like with intergenerational trauma and the family problems I was facing, I couldn't find a solution to fix it. And I couldn't find a way to accept that my dad was never going to be in my life. And for the rest of my life, I'm never going to have him. So because I found it very hard to, you know, say to myself that this is how it's always going to be. You can't change it. I would drink because it just helped me to cope with the overwhelming emotion. Um, but in the last couple of years, it's been like, well, I would be a hypocrite if I'm constantly drinking every day or every weekend and then getting upset and getting drunk and and, and acting out if I'm also trying to help other people. Um, you can't have both. So it was like, and 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 covid was quite hard not to drink either because we were locked down in our houses and we couldn't go anywhere here in australia and mm. it was for a long time so um i think a lot of people developed drinking problems at that point oh yes uh, everybody was drinking it was like what else do you do you smoke yeah. you drink drugs. well that <laughs> and
0: there was a lot of uncertainty there was yeah. so much uncertainty we, you were yeah. told that it was just going to be a mild thing then all of a sudden yeah. you're not sure when you're going to be able to go back outside
1: no no absolutely and so not.
0: at that point you're just like well what's left for yeah. me to do for me to try to hope for accomplish yeah. Yeah. so absolutely I could see a lot of people turning to different substances mine was overindulging in food of course um, yeah. I was like well I'm not going anywhere anyone's going to see me so I'm just going to not care about my diet at this point um so but again that goes back to why why do you need to why do you feel as though it's not worth caring about your your health or your mental well-being
1: yeah um but when I really discovered um when I put all the pieces together in my life about where my trauma was coming from it was one my dad it was two um, I guess the traumas that I felt like my mom was passing down to me as well. Um, one of the major causes of me drinking was the fact that my mom wouldn't let me go out um, and, and on the weekends and enjoy my time out. So in my head, I felt like, okay, I'm going to make up for it by drinking because I'm stuck at home. Mm. And that was a pattern that was a very, that was a recurring pattern for a number of years that I wasn't allowed to experience the life I wanted to because of my mom. So I needed to escape mentally because physically I could not so um which which um it it continued for a while and then I had to get to the source of the problem which is my mom's problem with me going out that was one the other one was accepting the problems with my dad that he was never going to be in my life and accepting that that's just how it's ever always going to be and then trying to find a way that like I mean I drank to escape from reality but what else could I do in place of alcohol because at the end of the day, alcohol is just temporary. It's a temporary high. It's releasing dopamine. It's not serotonin. You know, dopamine is the pleasure chemical. That's what alcohol does. And but you're, you should be searching for serotonin, which is the happiness. Mm-hmm. And where do you find happiness from within? And happiness from within came for me came from um, learning about men- learning so much more about myself and mental health, and uh, combining that with music and helping other people. So once I diverted my mind elsewhere. And fix the root cause of my drinking. I didn't. I don't feel like I constantly need to drink, and I don't feel the need to get away from the world because my world is beautiful now. But it takes a lot of work. You know, it's not like a one or two week thing. It can take months and months to really yes. get to that stage. Um, but I think some people think that oh, I need to go to rehab, and I need to do all these things. It's like you don't really need to go to rehab. You. You just need to get to the cause of it by being honest with yourself. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it, it's it's a very uncomfortable place. When you have to get honest with yourself, it's very uncomfortable because once you've acknowledged what, what the problem is, you you're then like, okay, great, now I have to fix it. And fixing it is the part that takes very long and gets you out of your comfort zone. So I think that's why some people resist.
0: I want to touch on the part that you mentioned about honesty. Mm. Um, in particular about when you are going to a therapy session and because i hear a lot i go to therapy and that's like i don't have any shame towards any of that i go Mm -hmm. and i tell people i'm going to therapy today like i'm going to mcdonald's or something and so i think people they they bring up where well, I, I tried therapy, it wasn't really for me or whatever they've tried to do. And I asked them, well, how honest are you being? How mm-hmm. honest are you being in your sessions? Are you going into the session and just kind of sitting there and waiting for them to say these magical words that'll make you feel better? Or are you kind of bringing that, you know, that muck to the surface that you have to sometimes bring Up to Mm. the surface so that you can really deal with that. And that means for me personally, when I was coming to terms with low self-esteem, there were times where I didn't want to tell exactly what happened, how I felt about my day. Because it meant that I would have to, I felt like I was failing, felt like I was admitting to some personal fault. That once I brought it up to the surface, it was just going to be. A defeat. Mm. So sessions would go on, and it would seem like everything is going great. And my therapist would be of the opinion that, well, I mean, I don't really know why you're here because it seems like you got it under control, but mm-hmm. I didn't have it under control at all. So I had to sit down with myself one day and go, "Okay, you're not being a hundred percent honest about what you feel about yourself." And about your day-to-day interactions that your counselor is asking you about. And that's why you're not getting out of these sessions what you feel that you're Mm. not getting. What you're supposed to be getting. And so it ties back to once I started really being completely honest. And I mean just raw and tears and just I can't believe I'm admitting to this sort of things. Once I started doing that, and we kind of started pulling back and going, I understand why you feel this way. And I know it feels this way to you. But let's put it up and let's really examine it and let's really see where that's coming from. Mm. Once I was able to do that, that was when I finally started making some improvement. Yeah. When I finally realized I don't really need to be on. 75 milligrams of whatever I'm taking 37 point whatever is fine um when I need it yeah because you have those days but and then of course the eating and whatever else that I did that was problematic that I did because unconsciously I was just like well this is going to help me just feel better until I'm ready to just do whatever I need to do So the honesty aspect of being okay with sitting with the parts of yourself that are not comfortable at all, but still recognizing that you have to do that in order to truly move forward. That's what a lot of people struggle with in my personal experience when they mention any sort of self-improvement or going to a therapist is, well, I don't feel like it's worth it. And the correlation there is usually that I don't know if you're being completely honest and I don't know if you are properly identifying what you're feeling and Mm. why it is that you're feeling that way.
1: Mm. Absolutely. I think people are, they go to therapy thinking, you know, I I, want to go fix myself. They think the therapist is going to fix them. And Mm -hmm. um, my job is not to fix you. My job is to um, number one, give you tools to help yourself. And number two, be that, um, you know, be that older brother, older sister, older mother figure um, for you, whichever therapist you go to, and um, sort of ask you questions to help you think about the answers, help you reframe your mind and retrain your mind. Um, it's not for us to just fix it, because I can't, I can't fix a problem. I can just give you the tools and I can ask you the questions to make you think. Um, but I think people fear being judged going to a therapist because they think that oh if a person's a therapist it means they have no problems of their own <laughs> like that's they know what they how think. to yes. the so therapists don't have problems and mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it. sometimes I laugh about it because it's like I have people say things to me like oh you're a counselor you should know and it's like I don't have the answers to everything I, I don't know the answers to everything I'm, I'm I'm a human and I feel emotions too so we need to like we need to normalize the fact that Mental health professionals sometimes need help, but also when people come to us, they need to know that, hey, we're not perfect. I can only guide a person up to the level that I I am at right now. Um, And the level I'm at right now in 2022 might be very different to 2025 when I've elevated another three years and can help people at at a higher capacity. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to share your story so people can hear it and be like, okay, this person can be like a mentor to me or I can I can learn from them. You, you don't have to, you know, be a, be a counselor or a therapist to help someone either. It's, it's how you've gotten out of your situation and how you can use that to help others. But, yeah, people are afraid of being judged. And when you're honest with yourself, it opens up a whole new can of worms as well because, yes. like, oh you've admitted and you almost like you said like you feel like you've admitted defeat so you feel defeated you feel like oh there's nothing like what am I going to do now you know what's next and you you get scared once mm-hmm. you've admitted but the beauty of admitting the problem means that you can now look for solutions like that's that's like that's the whole point yes of talking about your problem is to find a solution but and I think some people are also scared of well, what am I going to do without the alcohol? Like, who am I going to become if it's such an integral part of the person's identity and their coping mechanism and the and, and the way they live? It's that fear of letting go. If I don't have alcohol, what am I going to do in my spare time? What am I going to do on the weekends? How am I going to have fun? How am I going to cope with the pain? Um, so people stick to the addiction because of the fear and it becomes a cycle.
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And I know I went through that fear as well, because it was like, well, how am I going to enjoy? How am I going to go clubbing without alcohol? How am I going to enjoy my weekends without alcohol? But then you do it and you're like, oh, I survived it. Like, it wasn't really that bad. <laughs> how am I going to go through New Year's Eve without alcohol? Yes. Like, that and was it's especially
0: me. difficult for people who uh, struggle with alcohol addiction, yeah. because I'm not sure how it is in Australia. Here in America, it's every function you not really expected but it's encouraged that you have a drink and you overindulge in drinking um and so of course it becomes very difficult for someone to who just wants to not be in the house with their thoughts because they've had enough thinking for one week (laughs) they've maybe been to therapy and they've uncovered some things and they're exhausted which i understand And they want to go out, but they don't want to be surrounded by just martinis and beer and whatever the case may be. That's hard to escape from sometimes. It's hard to go to an environment, find an environment that you can sit with someone and there's not the encouragement of, oh, I'm going to order a drink. Let's order a drink and do this and do that. And so, yeah, I can see how that and those initial moments where you're you're trying to move forward and try to develop personality outside of drinking um
1: mm. where it is
0: especially difficult because that's everywhere here at least and it's like i mentioned before on tv where every character you see on tv they have a drink in their hand and even if someone does clearly have a problem With alcohol, it's usually just a joke. It's not the same as like hard drugs or meth or anything like that. It's just, just, oh yeah, they drink all the time. And um, you'll see them drink 10 martinis in one episode. And they're just passed out or something. it's like, okay, yeah, that's just what they do. And um, because it's so normalized, it is very difficult to feel as though you need to put yourself in an environment where that isn't at the forefront so much so that you can identify those places where you can just be a person that isn't tied to that
1: yeah and you need to have the courage to face the truth of why you drink and admit it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, you don't have to go to rehab, but it's more about learning what alcohol does um, and replacing the drink or doing something else or minimizing it. You know, if you're, if you normally have, I don't know, five glasses of wine, have two, that's an achievement and you can Mm -hmm. celebrate that Um, because alcoholism is linked to your nervous system. So when you crave a drink and you can't focus on anything else until you get one, um, that's your sympathetic nervous system which has been activated and the goal is to you know activate your parasympathetic nervous system you know the so you've got your your central nervous system one sympathetic one's parasympathetic your sympathetic nervous system is the gets you going you're ready for you fight or flight your parasympathetic nervous system is is, is that calm mental state that does not need the alcohol so If you start doing activities like art therapy or meditation or gym, things that are calming to your nerves and your physiological state, um, that helps with your mental state, but because alcohol also increases your dopamine levels and that's the pleasure chemical, but over time, um, alcohol depletes these levels. And in order to feel better, you just want more alcohol. And, but when you do activities to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, you are actually increasing your serotonin levels and that's a mood, natural mood stabilizer that controls your well-being and your happiness so you know even in general um as i was saying before some people are chasing the dopamine that temporary pleasure and high instead of searching for ways to increase the serotonin which you need to have a natural state of happiness um so it's it's about learning the physiologic the physiology behind your drinking and what it really does to you and that's where all, most addictions are linked to the chasing the dopamine, that that temporary pleasure. And all, alcohol is just a temporary pleasure. Um, that's all it is. It doesn't last long. But things like going to te- therapy and learning meditation, and going to the gym to improve how you, yourself and your health—that's long term. That will in turn bring you the state of happiness that you need. Um, but people live people's mental state, I think is really temporary. It's, it's destination addiction. Like, Oh, the next thing I do will make me happy. Um, Mm -hmm. If I do, it'll make me happy. They're not looking long-term. What will make them happy? Everything seems to be a short-term thing. So alcohol is a short-term pleasure. I mean, how, how much do you drink to get tipsy and then drunk and then pass out? It's just temporary. Mm -hmm. But if you actually, within yourself, you, you try and turn more towards spirituality or turn to your other hobbies. Like for me, music, that's long-term happiness for me, you know? Um, so I think that's something that people need to really sort of look into the the physiology behind it, because the cravings that you have for alcohol, it can affect you physiology, um, like physically, because you crave it. And then when your body doesn't get it, you, either, you can start having withdrawals if it's been a long addiction or you start feeling angry, your heart goes fast, pupils dilate. You, you can have such a strong reaction um, if you're craving it so badly. So it's really about finding ways to uh, reduce, replace, and um, activating that that parasympathetic nervous system to eventually not feel the need to drink.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So returning to your personal journey, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, because I think we touched on it earlier, where when you get to a certain place, do you ever feel like there's pressure to, now that you are a counselor and now that you are helping others overcome their experiences, where if you find yourself noticing something that you do and it may not be something old that you're you know kind of backsliding or something like that something new that you do Mm -hmm. and there's this pressure that you put on yourself where you're like I feel like I should be better than this do you ever experience
1: that um better than this meaning like in terms of my options and my reactions to certain situations is that what you mean
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah all the time um, I Not all the time, but a lot of the times I sometimes think, oh, you know, um, I'm a counsellor. Like at the back of my mind, I know the answer to this. Why am I not behaving the way I should behave? Why am yes. I not doing this? Um, it, it's like, do I have this image I have to uphold? Um, am I a counsellor all the time or do I only go into counsellor mode when I need to go into counsellor mode? So sometimes it's a conflict between um, rational and irrational yes. and um, logical and not logical. Um, and I think I get fired up when I might react in a way that a person would think, oh, but a counselor shouldn't react like that. Yes. And they will turn around and belittle me. Well, it feels like they're belittling me. And they say things like, oh, you're a counselor, you should know. Um, and then that sort of, I guess you could say it hurts my ego or it it, it hurts me personally. Cause I think, but I'm not in counselor mode 24 seven. Like mm-hmm. I, I might be helping people whenever, every time I can, but I, I feel things and I react to things. I might, um, recognize why I react so strongly, which is some people can't, are not able to know why they recognize, uh, why they react so strongly to things. But, you know, sometimes I'm not in the zone to be a counselor and, um, once I'm done reacting in a way that people think I shouldn't, when I reflect back, I think, oh, God, like does that put me in a different light? Do they think I'm not a good counsellor? Like am I not supposed to have my own emotions? Do I Am I not supposed to feel how I feel? Like you go through these up and down um, motions between who you are versus who people expect you to be versus who you want to be. It's like, mm-hmm. a, it's like yes. a triangle there (laughs) and it can be it can be exhausting and overwhelming and then I just have to then I have to counsel myself and be like you know what Shalina you have emotions you're entitled to feel it people can't a person's expectation of you is a reflection of them it's not a reflection of you that they see you in a certain way they want you to react in a certain way because they have some sort of expectation of what Mm -hmm. a counselor is it doesn't mean that I can't react how I want to or I can't feel how I want to feel. So it can be a bit of a um, battle in my mind. Yes, it, it does happen. I think it happens to quite a lot of people.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, yeah. At the end of the day, you're being positioned as a role model by other people. Yes, yes. And the people that are not in that role model position don't often see the just how much expectation you're putting on someone that no, they- you – You expect are certain behaviors of them each and every time you encounter them, forgetting that, like you mentioned, you're not always in counselor mode and you're also still a human being and you also are going to have your moments, your days where you're not going to always fit into what their idea of the role model is. Yeah, that's right. And that's okay. That's perfectly Okay. And I asked that because when I finished writing my book about overcoming low self-esteem, there were many times where I would I, I would find new things that I still needed to work on. Even though yeah. I had worked on the huge major things, now there are other new things that we still need to work on and overcome. Now, of course, I would have never gotten to this place if I wasn't able to develop that crucial skill of Mm -hmm. stepping back and going, okay, let's be completely honest about how we feel, right? Well, now you get to that point where you can see the other things that you do and the other things you need to work on. And so some people get stuck on, oh my gosh, like I've done all this work. Does that mean that I'm backtracking or Mm -hmm. I'm not where I should be? And it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that, okay, you still have some work to do, but you're not a perfect individual. and You're never going to be. And it's okay to still have those things that you can identify and work on and work towards. It doesn't mean that you are, and it really doesn't even necessarily mean that you're backsliding or anything. It just means that there's now something else that you can focus on. Mm. Now that you have identified and worked on the major things that you needed to overcome.
1: Having the and... knowledge. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. No, <laughs> no, no. Sorry. What What were you saying?
0: No, well, I was, no, I was just saying, well, now that you've identified all of that and mm. from there, it's just a matter of continuing to use what you've learned. Just keep improving. That's really all it is.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, we, people like you and I, we have the knowledge and the tools and we know so, we have so much information and so much knowledge that we can put it into practice as often as we can. Um, so we can explain, I, I'm able to explain, well, why I reacted in such a strong way or why I, you know, did this or did that. But some people don't even have that self-awareness mm-hmm. of why they, they do. And I think, it's so important to have that self-awareness. Like I I reacted like this because of this, or I do this because of X, Y, and Z. Um, So if people can become more self-aware, it's just tapping into yourself about why you do what you do. So many things, so many problems you can solve your own self, honestly. Like so many problems people have can be solved by themselves if they're willing to open up their mind and their heart to it, um, but yeah, going back to the role model image that we have, yeah, you have it, and then people associate. Uh, sorry, people have expectations of you, and then when you don't meet it, it's like in their eyes, um, it's like you failed, mm-hmm. to an extent, um, and and it's just it's it can be a, it can be a battle of the mind, but. I guess it's something that it's the person who's expecting they need to understand that just like they're humans, we're humans as well. Like we're not superhuman, you know, (laughs) just like they react and have emotions. We do too. We just probably, maybe we know how to express it in a different way. Maybe we're just more self-aware. Maybe, maybe we can explain it in a, in a better way or understand something with more depth, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't act out or we're not irrational at times, but it's just, it's just the beauty of being human. That's who we are. I'll never be perfect. Whether I'm a psychologist or a counselor or, and and even like psychologists need to see psychologists, counselors need to go see counselors, you know, Um, they're just at a different level to somebody who may not be, you know, interested in dealing with their mental health right now, but it doesn't mean that I'm better than someone. I think people think that, as I said, like you're a counselor, you just know everything and fix your problems just like that and can solve mm-hmm. everybody's problems and it's like not all the time no <laughs> we're we're equipped with knowledge but we're not like superhuman here
0: <laughs> yes precisely so I think my last question for you is we mentioned earlier I asked you about your aha moment mm-hmm. what do you feel today has was the moment that you felt the greatest success in your journey?
1: Ooh, I think it's when I started receiving um, feedback from people that I had helped them open their minds up and I had helped them with their trauma and that I had validated their pain and that they felt so much better. It made me realize that I'm actually doing the right thing. I'm, I, I'm on the right path. Um, it was the feedback I started receiving from people um that was like okay I've I have a purpose in my life now you know and there's there's so many ways I can help a person um and my other aha moment would probably be when I accepted the fact that you know I'm probably never going to forgive my dad and that's okay and I don't need to drink about it because it's not going to make a difference. I don't have to. I can be angry and not react. It, it was, It was. I guess, um, uh, learning about my, my emotions, what emotion I was feeling, and that each emotion did not need a reaction. I used to react to my emotions by drinking, like, oh, I'm upset. I need a drink. I'm angry. I need a drink. I'm happy. I need a drink. And then you sit there and you reflect and you're like, you know what? I don't really need to react to any emotion I feel. I can just let the thought come into my head and just leave. Mm -hmm. And when you realize and you come to that realization, when you come to the acceptance of, hey, I can just feel anything I want and I don't have to do anything. It's like, wow, like you feel free. I think a lot of people in general, they feel like they need to do something when they feel an emotion Mm -hmm. that is uncomfortable, especially. So it was, it's mastering your uncomfortable emotions that, gets you to the place that you need to be at so when I did that and I'm it's, I can't say that I've just done it and I don't get angry and I don't react I do but it's reduced so much from what I used to do Precisely. And my reaction, yeah my reactions are not you know oh need a bottle straight away oh need to go and you know go to the gym and punch the crap out of something like I <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have physical reactions. Um, when I feel things and that was my other a uh, heart moment that I can be peaceful <laughs> I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to like react all the time um, with alcohol so
0: fantastic fantastic okay well I'm glad that you were able to get to that point point. and like you mentioned uh, that's very important that you are still going to get angry you're still going to get sad and depressed mm-hmm. some days
1: always yeah but
0: it's it, it's reaching that point where you can identify it you can even identify what's causing it but also yeah. be okay with sitting in it and not feeling as though you have to get up and do something about it get rid of it I think that's what people try to do they try to get rid yes. of the negative emotion because we're taught that you're not supposed to have them um yeah and it's like no you it's okay to have those I, It's when you try to do something about it, that's usually when it heads into the territory of doing something that is a little problematic. And I think the more that we learn, not only to identify what we're feeling, but to sit in it and just kind of figure out what's going on with it, we sort of start to begin to see that, okay, well, this is just a part of life. We're going to feel different things. We're going to have different experiences and they're all important. The the positive ones are not going to outweigh the negative ones. The negative ones are there for a reason, just like the positive ones are. And it's what we do with that, that information. That leads us to the people that we want to be. And so. I'm really glad to hear that you were able to get to that point um and help others and you received that feedback and that was when you realized that oh my gosh you know I am doing pretty much what I need to do right now um so fantastic
1: absolutely and it and I'm and I don't mean to say that I don't have, you know, any reactions, like I don't get angry or I don't get defensive. I don't have any negative reactions. I hundred percent I do, but, and and I might react and then, but I'll quickly be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have. Whereas mm-hmm. in the past, I may not have come to the, oh, I shouldn't have conclusion. <laughs> I might've just remained like, nah, I No, I'm entitled to this. This is how I feel. So it's it's like you. I do react. I just don't. um, I don't uh, react for too long, or or I don't feel the need to drink when somebody pisses me off. You know, like like it's it's about how you what you. It's not about like you can feel however you feel. It's about what you do when you feel it. Um. So I might be. I'm still just because I'm a counselor does not mean I'm not irrational at times. But I think that's the human part of it. And I think a lot of people need to realize that um, even a mental health professional, they can, you know, they have their moments, they struggle at times. So like, don't feel ashamed, like whoever you are, whatever you're doing, like regardless of your profession, like we're all, we're all not, we're all, honestly, we, we all bleed through similar veins. You know what I mean? Our our blood's still red at the end of the day. We're all the same. Some just have more knowledge and awareness others don't and there's just there's no shame in it
0: absolutely well Shalene, i want to thank you so much for sharing your experience and really reaching out and just saying reaching out to people in your life of course and just helping others come to terms with the trauma that they experience and the negative emotions and thoughts that we have that kind of lead into some of the addictions that we tussle with
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rewarding. It really is. And, um, I just hope that more people tap into their, their trauma as, and realizing that that's usually the source of their, their addictions and really having the courage to face it. Cause there's just, there's just no shame. Like however you're feeling, whatever you're going through, there's no shame in it. And the sooner you speak up, the sooner, you know, you, you become the best version of yourself. Like you owe it to yourself to be that best version should not be feeling ashamed for how you feel and want and reaching out for help never any shame
0: thank you for listening to the demetrius show reviews of this show help expand my audience size and reach new listeners so be sure to rate it on your preferred listening platform so more people can know about it also If you really love this show, be sure to subscribe to my email list so you can be the first to get news and updates about the podcast and more. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.